The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. All right, good morning. I want to welcome you this morning to uh, Berean Bible Church. Appreciate you being here today, um, joining us in our study. We're just continuing our study of the Upper Room Discourse. And I've said over and over, this, this whole discourse, chapter 13 through 17, just takes place hours before our Lord's crucifixion. Alright, He's meeting with His disciples, <clears throat> and He's teaching them. He's teaching them things they need to know when He's gone, because He's getting ready to leave. He's telling them, you're going to be persecuted, they're going to kill you, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. And so He's giving them this information, He's trying to prepare this for them, and when he tells them they're going and he's telling them all these things, they're like, they're not too happy as you can understand. But he tells them that it's necessary that he goes because unless he goes, the Holy Spirit won't come to them. And that's what he says in verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now, I don't think they believed that at all when he told them that. No, Lord, well, how can we advantage from you leaving? He says, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So, He's going to go and He's going to send them the Comforter. Now, this great promise of the Lord was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit came. And since then, every Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's important for us to understand that the Spirit was promised to all believers. It's not a special group of believers that meet certain conditions and then you get the Spirit. If you have trusted Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. In John 7, 38-39, the Lord says, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. So everyone who believed was going to receive the Spirit. For as yet... The Spirit had not been given because Yeshua was not yet glorified. And that's what he says. You don't get the Spirit till I go. Now, this, this verse makes it quite clear that the Spirit would be given to those who believed. The rivers of living water is a reference to the ministry of the Spirit. They were to receive the Spirit on the day of Pentecost at the birth of the church. And this includes all subsequent believers from then on. When you trust in Christ, you receive the Spirit. All of Him. You don't get a part here and then later. He's not a piece of pie you can cut up. and You know, you receive the Spirit. He's a person. Now in our last study, we looked at the Spirit's ministry of prosecuting the world. In verse 8 he says, And when He comes, speaking of the Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, do you remember what I said last week about the word convict here? <clears throat> What's this word have reference to? Okay, it's a legal term. This is a prosecuting term. This is, you know, convicting is the sense of a trial. You went through a trial, you were convicted. Alright, this, ha- this word has nothing to do with, you know, people read this text and this means the Holy Spirit's going to come and make people feel bad. <clears throat> Excuse me. This has nothing to do with that. Alright? 
It's not used here in a contemporary religious way. That's how we use it, you know. We would say, well, I felt convicted about how I treated them. Okay, you felt bad. Maybe you should feel bad, but that has nothing to do with this, all right? Convict here is from the Greek word elenko. It's a legal term. It could be understood in a purely judicial sense of bringing down a negative verdict, regardless of whether or not the convicted party admits any guilt. The idea here is that the Spirit prosecutes the world. He's going to render a guilty verdict through the preaching of the disciples. Look at how Jude uses this word. In Jude 1, 14 and 15, he says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. Now, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is going to come and make you feel bad about your sin. He's convicting you and He's saying, you're guilty. Same word here, elenko. Now, the word for judgment here actually refers to the act of judgment or administering judgment. So Jude is talking about judging and convicting apostates. God is carrying out justice. So Yeshua is saying that the world is wrong about the chief nature of sin. Most people think sin is doing bad. The world's wrong about righteousness and the world's wrong about judgment. And through the proclamation of the Word, through the disciples, the Spirit will convict the world of their ignorance of the true nature of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will expose the sin of unbelief. Because that's the issue with sin, is not believing in Christ. He will reveal the righteousness of Christ and He will reveal the fact that everyone will face judgment. Now, people often look at this text and they say, well, he's talking about the world. This is the this Holy Spirit's going to do this to the world. This, the world can't receive the ministry of the Spirit. This is talking about what will happen through believers as the Spirit empowers them. They will preach which will convict the world. Believers receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we are the instrumentalities by which the world will be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because we preach the truth, we condemn the world. Now first and foremost, this refers to the disciples that Christ is speaking to. That's so obvious, we shouldn't have to say it all the time, but I think you got to get it. First, these texts are written to real people. Yeshua is talking to His disciples. They're the ones that are going to go out and they're going to prosecute the world. We see this in the book of Acts. They go out in the book of Acts, they begin to prosecute the world through the preaching of the Gospel. But... I believe this text also applies to us. I believe there's application to us. You and I are to convict. We're to prosecute the world through the proclamation of the Word of God. We're to render the world guilty of violating the law of God. Of not believing in Christ. Now for our study this morning, we're going to look at verses 12-15 through of chapter 16. And these verses begin the fifth And the final paraclete passage in the Upper Room Discourse. This is the final little passage on the Holy Spirit. And this passage focuses on the completion of the revelation. In this text, we're told that the Spirit will provide 
all the truth that these disciples need to prosecute the world. And all the truth we need, we're going to get from them because they wrote it down. And now we have the truth also to prosecute the world. The Lord says to them, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. He had a lot more to teach them, a lot more for them to learn, but not at the moment. Not right now. Why? You can't bear it now. The word bear here is from the Greek word bastidzo, which means to pick up a stone with your hand, to lift up a rock. The same verb is used in 1031 referring to the Jews lifting up stones to stone Yeshua. The word is used later for the physical carrying of the cross. And the Lord uses it here to tell the disciples, you can't handle it. You can't handle the truth. They can't. You just can't bear it. It's too weighty for you. This is a reference to their spiritual incapacity. They don't yet have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And because of that, they struggle with the spiritual truths. He keeps telling them and they're scratching their head. What's he mean? What did he say? I don't get it. What's he saying? And part of the problem was they had an idea of Messiah that doesn't fit with what the Lord was teaching. You're talking about suffering. You're talking about dying. You're talk- That's not Messiah. So they viewed Messiah as a conqueror who would come and set them free for Rome, who would establish supremacy of national Israel. So the Lord teaches them spiritual things, and they don't get it. We see this over and over. Let's go back to John chapter 2. Yeshua answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they're all scratching their heads saying, it took 43 years to build this Herodian temple. But he was speaking to them of the temple of his body. He was talking about dying and rising from the dead. But they didn't get it. Verse 22 says, When therefore he was raised from the dead, so Lazarus has given his commentary, after the fact, his disciples remember he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Yeshua had spoken. They didn't get what he was saying. The scripture that then they then believe was the prophecies in the Tanakh about the resurrection. But then they're like, what's he talking about? We see the same thing in chapter 12. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Yeshua was glorified again after the resurrection, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done in him. This is another note by Lazarus to inform us that these events were only fully understood after the resurrection. There's a lot more Yeshua wanted to say to them. But they weren't in a position to receive it. They just weren't getting it. Look at John 28 and 9. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. They still... These guys, again, they're not understanding this. How many times has he talked to them about that? What do you mean rise from the dead? Well, you'd have to die to rise from the dead. Messiah doesn't die, and they they just don't get it at all. Let's go to Mark, and look what Mark has to say here, 9, 9, and 10. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. What? 
We're supposed to keep this to ourselves. But what's he mean, rising from the dead? Really? They didn't know what rising from the dead was? They didn't get this at all? When it came to spiritual things, they were clueless. Let's look at one more in Luke. Luke 18.31 And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. He's saying, this is what the prophets said about Messiah. They didn't get it. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. All right. I think that should be clear, right? We could give you others, but I think you got it now. They didn't understand what he was saying to them. So let's go back to our text. So he wasn't going to say anything more to them (laughs) about what was coming because they didn't understand what he'd already taught them. So what's the point in going any further? Now, after his resurrection and before his ascension, he will teach them more, according to Luke 24. But most of the teaching that he's going to do later is going to be done by the Holy Spirit after his ascension. So he's going to teach them through the Spirit. So let me ask you this. Why were the disciples so clueless about the truth the Lord was teaching them? They, that Stan got it. They did not have the Spirit. They didn't have it yet. They didn't have the Spirit of God, so they're, yeah, they're just clueless. We see in Acts that after Pentecost, after they received the Spirit, the things that seemed to baffle them, such as the cross and the resurrection, suddenly became the center of their teaching. And their cowardness that they had afterwards was great boldness. I mean, it was incredible the difference in these guys. At the cross, none of them are there. Oh, we don't want to be around this. They're scared. Afterwards, after Pentecost, it's just like there's this boldness and they're like, bring it on. They're confronting the leaders. Alright, so let me ask you this. Do we today need the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, in order to understand the Bible? I see, no, I see heads. I see that head. Yes, I see that head. Heads all over the auditorium. <laughs> Well, this question here was written into my favorite Arminian, Don Preston. All right? Now, I'm not trying to pick on Don. Don's a good friend of mine. We definitely disagree on soteriology. Okay? So, this question was written to Don. Do we today need the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, in order to understand the Bible? And Don answered, no, we do not. What we need is to understand the proper rules of hermeneutics. Well, I certainly agree with Don that we got to apply the rules of hermeneutics to understand the Bible. I also believe that the Spirit must enlighten us to the truth or we're not going to get anything. Now, Don went on to say, there are many people out there, good people to be sure, thank you, he's talking about me, who take the position that man in sin 
unregenerate man, so to speak, is simply incapable of understanding the Bible, believing the Bible, obeying the Lord, unless God first opens his heart and mind to understand the Scriptures. Don says, I believe this is a fallacious view. So Don saying, we don't need the Holy Spirit. Just need to do some hard work. Get the Bible and do some work. Well, the position that Don calls a fallacious view is the position I hold is called the Reformed view. I think it's called the biblical view. All right? And I want to look this morning at what the Bible says about man and his ability to understand the Scriptures because that's what the, what's important is what the Bible says. And Paul addresses the need for divine illumination in 1 Corinthians 2. He's talking to the Corinthians. He says, now we have received not the Spirit of the world. The we here is Paul and the Corinthians. We didn't receive the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God. So Paul saying, Corinthians, you and I, Corinthians were believers. We've received the Spirit that comes from God. Why? This is a hinna purpose clause. He's telling us the purpose that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So we got the Spirit so we can understand what God says. Because guess what? If you don't have the Spirit... You don't understand what God says. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now watch what he says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He's not able to understand them. Because they're spiritually discerned. So the natural man, that's the person without the Spirit. He doesn't accept the things of God. And you know this, you talk to people about God and they're like, I don't care, that stuff's foolish. I don't care about that. The things of the Spirit of God would definitely include His Word, right? So Paul says, he's not able to understand them. Now who is the natural man? Well, the word natural here comes from the Greek word sukakos, and Jude uses the same word in Jude one nineteen. He says, is these who cause divisions, worldly people, that's the word sukakos, and then he explains it, devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. That's who the natural man is. That's the sukakos man. So the natural man is a man without the Spirit of God. He hasn't had God's effectual calling. He hasn't had regeneration which is absolutely necessary because apart from it, natural man has no ability to discern the things of God. Two things are true of the natural man. First of all, he doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. The word that is used here, accept, is a word used for receiving guests. His attitude towards spiritual things is like your attitude towards an unwanted guest. Don't want them. The man does not welcome the things of the Spirit because he considers them foolish. All that spiritual rubbish, I don't care about that. Secondly, the natural man is not able to understand the things of the Spirit. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. Now the word here, discerned, is a legal term that was used for a preliminary hearing. And it came to mean scrutinized, to examine, to make a judgment. The natural man has no capacity to spiritually evaluate these things because he doesn't have the Spirit. 
The natural man is like a man trying to pick up a radio station without a receiver. There's radio waves all filling this room. We could get hundreds of different radio channels right now. Any of you picking any of them up? You could if you had a receiver, but you don't have a receiver. You don't have the equipment necessary to pick them up. And that's the natural man. He doesn't have the receiver to pick up anything from the Spirit of God. People, this is not Calvinism. This is Bibleism. This is what the Bible teaches. We see this view demonstrated in John 12. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Oh my word. How could you walk the earth, watch this man raise the dead, heal the sick, provide food for hundreds and thousands of people, do all the things he does, and they say, ah, no, I don't believe this guy. They didn't believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. Oh, the prophet predicted these people wouldn't believe. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. They couldn't believe? Why? They didn't believe because they couldn't believe. It wasn't because they lacked understanding of hermeneutics. It was because they were spiritually dead. Apart from the guidance or illumination of the Spirit, nobody understands the Scriptures. Now, Yeshua asked the disciples who they thought He was. What did Peter tell him? Peter said, Yeshua says, but who do they say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Yeshua had answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My Father is in heaven. You know why you understand that, Peter? Because my Father revealed it to you. The whole point is that spiritual truth must be revealed to us before we can understand and grasp it. Acts 16.14 One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul's preaching the Gospel and the Lord opens her heart. This is the only place in the New Testament that has this phrase, opened her heart. And the Bible gives the whole credit to this opening to God's power and not man's will. Arminianism insists that man's free will must furnish the willingness or the power, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit furnishes the will and the power. Notice exactly what God did. It says, God the Spirit opened her heart. He gave her faith. The natural mind is blind. Her natural heart was averse to God, and her will was in bondage to sin and spiritual death. Only God can free a person from spiritual depravity. The giving of this life and the power is solely the work of God. Look at the words carefully. The Lord opened her heart. Now if you truly, if you try to deny that the one single reason that Lydia understood and believed the Gospel was because God deliberately opened her heart, you're fighting against the Word of God. It says very clearly right there, God opened her heart. If you try to get man's free will as a determining factor into this text, you're corrupting the text. It's not there. Nothing about man's will. Alright? When it comes to grasping divine truth, 
not even study at the academic level is adequate to absorb it. You can know Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, Ugaritic. You can understand all the languages and dig into this. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not going to get it. And there's plenty of scholars who don't get it. Because they're scholars, but they don't, they don't know God. God's truth requires divine work for sinful man to grasp. He says, I still have many things to say to you. What I see the Lord saying here to His disciples is kind of a pre-authentication of the New Testament. He's saying, i got a lot of things to say to you. Now, what He means, I'm going to say these things to you through the Holy Spirit so you can write them down so the rest of the church can get them. That's what He's talking about. The things He has to say to them are the things that the church needs so they can write them down. Now, earlier He said this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I've said unto you. This is talking to his disciples. I'm going to remind you the things I told you. I was with you for three and a half years, been walking around teaching. You forgot a lot of it, okay? Because you're people. I'm going to remind you of everything I taught you. He's saying something different here in our text. He's talking about things he can't say to them now, not things he's already said to them. These are new things. This is something different. In other words, the many things are the teachings of the New Testament. This would be, what he's already said to them would cover the Gospels, right? Cover the life of Christ. But I'm going to tell you other things that you'll write down in the Scriptures. This is Yeshua saying, all the things the Holy Spirit will later teach you come from Me. The New Testament is My teaching. You ever run into any of those believers that only believe the red letters in the Bible? I mean, I've met them. If it's in red, what if you don't have a red letter Bible? Then you got nothing, right? But they say only the words of Christ. Every word is Christ. Every, that's what he's saying right here. I got many things to say to you. He's, Christ is going to say these things to them so they can write them down. It's all his word. Verse 13, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. This is our Lord speaking concerning the Holy Spirit's work and giving us, in particular, the New Testament. That's what He's talking about here. He, the Spirit of truth. This is the third time we see this title for the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of truth. Well, what did Yeshua say in John 14, 6? I am the truth. So He's the Spirit of truth. So this title for the Holy Spirit emphasizes that the Spirit's role is as a revealer of Christ. That's what the Spirit's doing. He is revealing Christ. Look at verse 14. He will glorify Me. Why? He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. The things the Spirit teaches are Christ. He's teaching us what Christ said. The Spirit's job, people, is to reveal Christ. He, the Spirit of truth. Now, the combination here, He and the Spirit, is unusual. It's an unusual grammatical construction in the Greek because Spirit's a neuter noun that normally would take a neuter pronoun. But the pronoun is masculine here. He. When He comes. So He's using a masculine pronoun. It's a demonstrative pronoun. Now, I bring this out because it's important to see 
that the Holy Spirit is not a force. He is a person. And that's why He does this here. He, the Spirit. The Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. Fully God in every way. Now the Jehovah Witnesses deny the personality of the Holy Spirit because they deny the Trinity. But as we've seen in John 15, 26, the Spirit bears witness about Christ. A force can't bear witness. The Spirit guides disciples. A force doesn't guide you. He speaks, He hears, He reveals what He's heard to the disciples. We also see that Peter told Ananias that he lied to the Holy Spirit. When he, and he lied to God. Well, you can't lie to an impersonal force. The Spirit is a person. He says, He will guide you into all the truth. Now, there's good manuscript authority for the word in here instead of into, which would mean that the Spirit would guide the disciples within the whole sphere of the truth. I think this refers primarily to the inspiration of the authors of the New Testament. You guys, The guys he's talking to. Guys, I'm going to guide you into all truth. This is talking here about the many things that he still has to say to them from verse 12. i got many things to say to you I can't say right now. That's what he's, I'm going to guide you into those things. The teachings of the New Testament. Yeshua will inspire them and guide them into all the truth. Now, since in the context of the last discourse, Yeshua is preparing His disciples to carry on His ministry after His departure, it seems best to take these statements as specifically, again, related to those disciples. The Spirit guided them in unique, authoritative, inspired ways. He gave them the Word of God. But, in a secondary sense, I think our Lord's words here apply to us in that the Holy Spirit opens up the truth of the Bible so we can understand what they've written. Now, there are three terms that we need to understand in relation to the Spirit's work in the Scriptures. All right, Revelation. You all familiar with this? This is God unveiling Himself to man. Revelation, God's revealing Himself to us. This is complete in the Scripture. That's important. Because if God's still revealing Himself, then this is not quite enough. Because when He reveals Himself, we got to... Wait, there's some space in the back here. I can write some more stuff. Okay. What did He say to you? i got to put that down because that now becomes part of... The, no, it's done. The Bible's closed. God's done revealing Himself. If you want to know something, you go to the book. Amen. Uh, you got to go to the book because if you're running around listening to what everybody thinks God's saying to them... You're going to be really confused, people. Secondly, we got inspiration. This is the infallible recording of what God made known. So God spoke to these men. He gave them revelation. Then He inspired these men that they could put this down the way He wanted it. Okay? He's making it known. This is what our verse in John is talking about. Those first century disciples were given revelation and inspiration. Both revelation and inspiration are both closed. God's done writing. But for believers today, I think the ministry of the Spirit works in what we call illumination. This is the Holy Spirit giving us an understanding of the revealed text. God's revealed Himself. Then He illumines us to understand what He's saying 
about Himself through the Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that we read a verse and say, Lord, just teach me what this means. I'm not going to do any study. I'm not going to do any research. You just show me, God. No. God gives us insight. But we still have to deal with linguistic and culture and history. But we'll never understand, apart from the Spirit, what the text is saying. Notice what Paul says to the Ephesians. He says, having your, the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? The word translated enlightened here is from the Greek word photizo, and it means to give light, to shine, to enlighten, to bring to light. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians that the Spirit would illumine their understanding that they might understand spiritual truth. I'm praying that God would illumine you so you can understand His truth. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. This is an an amplification, an explanation of the words in verse 17, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. See, other texts of Scripture reveal a strong emphasis on the fact that divine wisdom is necessary to understand the revelation. In the Tanakh, the psalmist prayed for the wisdom required to understand God's law. David says, open my eyes. Why? That I may behold wondrous things out of your law. People... I try to recite this as a prayer every time I open my Bible. And when we go to the Word of God, we've got to ask God to reveal to us, to teach us, open my eyes so I can behold the truth of the Word of God. We have to have understanding opened. All right, back to our text. He says, He said, the Spirit here is going to guide you into all truth. In the history of the church, this phrase has been used and abused and caused multiple problems. How many people do something ridiculously stupid? Well, the Spirit guided me. Really? What Spirit? It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It's from this promise that the councils of Vatican I and II pronounced the doctrine of magisterial infallibility. You know that doctrine? Magisterial infallibility? The doctrine states this, the Pope alone, and or with the bishops, united with the Pope, the successor of St. Peter, are divinely protected from teaching error. See, you understand what that's saying? When the Pope says something, you better listen, because he's divinely protected from teaching error. Because that verse applies to him. The Spirit's going to guide him in all truth. And he's got an only but truth, and you better listen. When he comes up with something, you better listen to it. When they define matters pertaining to faith and morals. Wow, boy, that's a great thing to throw on people, right? You gotta listen to me. What I'm saying is always the truth. Mm. You know, cults have formed on the basis of someone claiming to have a revelation, being guided by a spirit. Joseph Smith claimed to have a revelation. The angel Maroni. Gave him some golden tablets and some big glasses so he could read them and understand them. And multiple millions have followed this heretical revelation. Today, multitudes of professing Christians are still following their revelations. And they call it the guidance of the Spirit. And they're leaving behind the Word of God. Because they're saying the Spirit God. And that's why I said it's closed. It's in this book. If it's not in this book, you're going the wrong direction. Since the Pentecostal movement began about over 100 years ago, 
there have been a lot of emphasis in evangelical churches on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Pentecostals put the Holy Spirit above all in the Trinity, and that's what's really important. Particularly in this area of guidance. You know, we're guided by the Spirit. Some crazy stuff. There's also been a lot of confusion and error. John MacArthur wrote this in his book, Holy Fire. It's a sad twist of irony that those who claim to be the most focused on the Holy Spirit are in actuality the ones doing the most to abuse, grieve, insult, misrepresent, quench, and dishonor Him. How do they do it? By attributing to Him words He didn't say, deeds He didn't do, phenomena He didn't produce. And experiences that have nothing to do with Him. They boldly plaster His name on that which is not His work. Boy, you've seen this, right? Just turn on your TV. MacArthur goes on in page 6 to cite many examples. He says, you got whole congregations doing the Holy Ghost hokey pokey. I mean, these people are really doing this. Here's one I'd never heard of before. People token the ghost. In other words, pretending to inhale the Holy Spirit and get high as if he were an invisible reefer. Token the ghost. <laughs> Women writhing on the floor, miming the process of childbirth. He cites several Pentecostal preachers who say that the Holy Spirit told them, listen, the Holy Spirit guided, right? The Holy Spirit told them to punch, kick, and violently assault people in an attempt to heal them. You need healing. Let me bust you in the nose. <laughs> Now your foot doesn't hurt so bad, right? That's not really healing. That's just dis... dis <laughs> you're, you're, you're relocating the pain. That's all you're doing. That hurts more than your foot. Now you feel better, right? I mean, this is crazy. Listen, an elderly woman died at a Benny Hinn miracle crusade when he pushed her over backwards. You ever seen Benny Hinn go wild with his... takes his coat off and smacking people, punching people, pushing people? All in the name of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely crazy. Listen, and here's what we have to understand, people. The Holy Spirit will never guide in contradiction to the written Word of God. That's why it's so important. We have this book. We know this book. Someone said, the Spirit told me, then you just got to look. Well, is it in here? If it's in here, I agree with it. If it's not in here, I don't agree with it. His guidance is always in agreement with the written Word of God. It's the Word of God. He's not going to say, do this when the Bible says, don't do it, but I'm telling you to do it. And this is where folks really mess up. They claim to have some spiritual, supernatural guidance from God, sometimes termed a Word of God. But it contradicts the Bible. When I worked at CBN as a counselor, Prayer counselor, you know, I was sitting there in the booth with all the people, waiting for people to call in and ask for prayer. This lady called in and she said, will you pray for my boyfriend? I'm like, okay, what do you want me to pray? Well, pray that he would, God would direct him rightly. And I'm like, what happened? Well, he left me and went back to his wife. And I'm like, so you want me to pray that he would leave his wife and come to you, his adulterous mistress? Uh, silence. I mean, people, really? Yeah, click. I mean, it's just, that's how people, you know, pray that God would do it. That violates the Word of God. 
But we see a lot of this, you know, in the charismatic circles. Now, it's not just in charismatic circles. It's all over, but we see it a lot there. There's a lot of abuse, I think, there. But He's going to guide you into all the truth. That's this. Listen, He's guiding you into what? Truth. All truth. As I said earlier, this refers to all truth about Yeshua, who is the truth. It's what God had contained in the Scriptures. He's going to teach them that. All truth doesn't mean all truth about science. It doesn't mean all truth about math or world history. It doesn't mean the Spirit's involved in absurd speculations like, I want the truth of how many angels can stand on the head of a pen. It refers to truth that the apostles and the church needs for growth and godliness. Truth about Christ. Lazarus tells us that it is gospel, just a portion of the things Yeshua did. What the stuff that Lazarus wrote down in the Gospel of John, just a fraction of what happened. There's a lot more that's going to be revealed. He says, now, there are also many other things that Yeshua did. For every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's a lot of books. Okay? He's going to guide you into the truth. So all the truth here is the truth which is necessary for the church to be revealed through the writings of the New Testament. He's going to reveal the truth of the Word of God. Listen, in this book, God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. We don't need to go anywhere else. We don't need to search anything else. You know, we really don't need all the self-help books. We just need to know what the Bible says. God's really covered things. He really has. Don Carson says this, The notion of guidance, the Greek verb, Hodegeo, in all truth, has nothing to do with privileged information pertaining to one's choice of vocation or mate, but with understanding God as He has revealed Himself with obeying that revelation. See, do you understand what He's saying? It's not, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to guide me into all this stuff. Read the Word of God. You say, you know, well, I'm praying about who should I marry? The Bible tells you who to marry. Doesn't it? Marry whoever you want in the Lord. As long as they're a believer, marry whoever you want. Well, that's a too much freedom for me. You know, how am I supposed... <laughs> yeah, but only once, that's right. The, the, the Bible lays out so much, people, we just are so ignorant of it that we're looking outside of it. As I said earlier, this is a pre-authentication of the New Testament which was to come. He's going to guide them into the truths He wants them to record. This revelation would include yet unknown facts about the future. Eschatology. He will speak. He will disclose to you what's to come. That will include eschatology, but it's broader than that. The expression covers all that would be ahead for the disciples once Yeshua had left them. This would include the full significance of Yeshua's passion as well as revelation now contained in the New Testament. He's going to teach you everything you need to know. Leon Morris says, the things to come is a way of referring to the whole Christian system, yet future when Jesus spoke, and to be revealed to the disciples by the Spirit, not by natural insight. He will glorify me, for He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So God the Holy Spirit is going to continue the teaching ministry of Christ of bearing witness to the truth. Just as Yeshua was the perfect expression of the character of God, so the Holy Spirit continues the ministry of making God known. That's what Yeshua did. He made the Father known. 
Now the Spirit makes Yeshua known, who made the Father known, so it's all going back to the Father. The New Testament consistently views the revelation that Yeshua gave the apostles to the Spirit following His ascension as a continuation of Yeshua's revelation. Just as Yeshua never acted on His own initiative, but only in obedience to the Father, so the Spirit, who would reveal the truth, is going to do the same thing. He will take of mine and disclose it to you. Very simply, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He takes the things of Christ and discloses them. When Yeshua was with them, He continually said things like this, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does. Right? I just do what the Father does. I do what he, I say what He says, me, t- says to say. I do what He says to do. Well, the Spirit's going to do the same thing. The Son reveals the Father. The Spirit reveals the Son who reveals the Father. He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. I think this is important. This tells me that we don't discover truth. Truth is disclosed to us. And when we have the Bible as the revelation of God before us, we gain understanding of it through the illumination of the Spirit. Now listen, the Spirit uses secondary tools like principles of interpretation. He doesn't violate that. But the ultimate teacher is the third person of the Trinity. He gives us things that Christ desires that we know. This emphasizes the fact that we must rely on the Holy Spirit, not our own intellect. It's dependence on the Spirit. Teach me. Open the Word of God to me. Help me to see things. It's a spiritual book. It requires spiritual guidance to understand. Now this description implies that the Spirit's complete equality with Yeshua in the Godhead. The Spirit would not give revelation that conflicted what Yeshua had already taught. And that's what we see today in the Pentecostal movement. So much of the you know, revelation conflicts the Bible. Well, that can't be right. The source, of, the source of both the Son's and the Spirit's teaching was the Father. Yeshua is revealing some of the aspects of the mystery of the Trinity here. That's what He's doing. The unity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He's teaching that the three divine persons have one and the same nature when He says that everything that the Father has belongs to the Son. And everything the Son has belongs to the Father. And that the Spirit has also in common with both of them. The Father and the Son. The Bible assumes that the Holy Spirit shares with God the Father and God the Son in eternal, personal deity. He along with the Father and the Son is God. One of the three persons of the three persons in one God who the Christian church describes as a trinity. One God existing, existing as three distinct persons, all equally God, all equally eternal, all equally present and active at the same time. You know, people get confused about, well, who do we is pray to this? Pray, you know, God, He's a trinity. All right? He's given us directions that we pray but we have to understand all three are involved. They're not separate. They're not going separate directions, doing separate things. When we consider the Trinity, we need to realize that each person of the God has specific functions or roles in redemptive history. For instance, when it comes to our salvation, the Father elects. Unless you're Arminian, then I guess you leave the Father's role out. You just choose. But in the biblical scheme, the Father elects, the Son redeems through His atoning work, And the Holy Spirit applies the work of redemption personally and individually. 
This helps us to realize that through Yeshua, though He no longer stands before us in the flesh, He's still present with us. As we said last week, it, what we have is better than Him being here in the flesh, because if He's here in the flesh, he could only, if He was here, He couldn't be there. If He was there, He couldn't be here. But the Holy Spirit's with us always, forever, wherever we go, whatever we're doing. He's here. He's living within each believer and within each church corporately. We have a divine teacher whose ministry is to glorify Christ by guiding us into an increasing richer knowledge of Him. But you'll never get to a place in this lifetime, believer, when you say, I know it all. You know, some people have read the Bible once and say, I read it. Man, you forgot more than you ever read, you know? You forgot it all already. And I'm excited about the fact that there's so much to learn. So much to learn. And the more you go, you know, it's like you go on for, I don't know, I was a Christian for 30-some years before I found out about the Divine Council. Been in my Bible the whole time. But I had a bad translation that really helped me not to see that. You know, translations could do that. They can cover things up. But I mean, it's exciting to know that the more you go on with this, you just keep reading, you keep studying, and God keeps revealing things to you. It's exciting, people. You don't just get to the point, I'm done, I'm kind of boring, nothing left to learn. No, there's always stuff left to learn. So uh, we just got to keep at it. We stay in the words, the revelation that the Lord wanted to tell his disciples. He had much to tell them, but they weren't ready. Well, if we've got the Holy Spirit, we're ready, and he's given us the word of God. He sealed it in inspiration, given it to us in a book. And we just need to pray the Spirit would open our eyes to understand the things that he's given us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word and the opportunity we have to look at it. Father, we realize it is a spiritual book. Its truths are spiritually discerned. We thank you that you have given each and every one of us as believers, your Holy Spirit, a resident truth teacher, Lord, to guide us, to lead us in the truths of your word. Thank you for that, Father. Amen. Okay, questions, comments? Okay, it says, uh, if the Spirit guiding believers into the truth of the Word of God today, why is there not more theological conformity and unity among the hundreds of Christian denominations? The results seem to belie the assertion. Yeah, boy, that, I agree with that. It's like crazy. I mean, you try to get anybody, you know, to agree on something. And it's because, you know, to have the Spirit doesn't mean you're getting all the truth. You know, God's just going to, okay, dump, you know, you became a believer, I dumped it on you. We are involved in this process. You know, we are involved in the learning process of studying and our life experiences are involved and there's so much involved there. And I think the biggest problem and is the fact that a lot of people just don't know the Scriptures. Now, that definitely does not apply to Don. Don knows the Scriptures just as better than anyone I know, all right? But for the most part, people don't understand the Scriptures, so they have views that they don't know the Scripture counters because they're not in the Word of God finding that out. I mean, I was Arminian for the first, I don't know how many years of my Christian life. seemed sensible to me that I made the choice that God wasn't, He was a gentleman who would violate my will and all this stuff. But the more I studied the Word of God, I'm like, boy, this is God is doing everything all over the place. He sounds like He's in control or something. And then I just realized, well, that's kind of a neat idea for God to be in control of everything, huh? 
and, and all the while, you believe that, and you believe God was omnipotent too, right? That's right. I mean, I always believed God was sovereign, you know, but people, most people will say, yeah, God's sovereign. How sovereign? Well, you know, His sovereignty covers this area, that area, but you know, not really sovereign. The Proverbs said, the king's heart's in the hand of the Lord. As a river of water, He turns it wherever He wants. What? He controls the king's heart? Alright, there's another that says, so then are the, are we, what? Oh, okay. So, I don't need to deal with that? Do those people not have the spirit? Well, I, I had made the comment that a lot, of, a lot of times nowadays, people aren't listening to their spirit as much as they are their tradition and or their preference. Or, you know, I want to do it this way so I get a scripture and justify it. Yeah. Does that mean that, you know, which I would say we believe that. I think it's real easy to get locked into... Like Jeff said, your denominational beliefs, your whatever. This is what I learned as a kid. Uh, you know, and I remember I went to a, a friend's, Providence Friends Church here in the area when I was uh, first moved here to this area as a young Christian. And Providence Friends. Sounds like a nice place. I want some friends, you know. Well, it was a Quaker church. I didn't know that, you know, but we went there. They're Arminian. And then as I was there studying the Scripture, I started seeing things that they didn't agree with. And so I'd bring them out because I was a teacher. You know, they put me over a Sunday school class and, and I'm teaching them what I know. And they said, well, you can't teach that. I'm like, why? They didn't say, because the Bible says, you know what they said? Our pastor Dwayne never taught that way. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? But see, that was their tradition. They, their, their former pastor never taught. They didn't bring me Bible verses. The elders didn't come with it. The elders just said, you can't teach that because Dwayne didn't. I'm like, well, that's not a good reason. So, yeah, so we ended up having to leave there because they just, you know, they wanted you to teach what Dwayne taught, not what the Bible taught. Gary? Um, I don't know if this applies or not. I'm trying to answer the question about the Holy, Holy Spirit there. If everyone has the Holy Spirit, why isn't there more unity and, and stuff like that? Well, if everybody has the Holy Spirit, why do we still... Like not totally yeah, the, I mean, having the Spirit gives us opportunity to understand the Word of God, but there's still, you know, there's still the human element involved where we have to make application. We've got to apply ourselves. You know, it's like, if all we need is the Spirit, then we don't even need the Bible, right? Just get the Spirit. He'll tell us everything we need. He'll guide us in all truth. We don't just, you know, no. But we have to study because we have to find out what was the revelation, what he taught, what he, what's he want us to know. I mean, we're involved in this thing, people. All right, Gloria writes, David, when I was witnessing to my son who was not born again, the Lord gave me that Scripture verse and told me to go to it in answer to a question that I was asked. I was asking the Lord. I asked, why isn't he getting it? And the Lord told me, took me to 1 Corinthians 2.14 and opened my eyes to the power, the power of the man without the Spirit and how God had to call him and he, that's, I mean, that's it. You know, again, you know, she's saying, well, the Spirit directed me there. Well, do we, can we say things like that? The Spirit directed me to the Bible? Yeah, I think the more Bible you have, the Spirit has a better handle to direct you. You know, you, Lord, direct me. Never touch this book. Don't know what it says, but direct me. Well, get in the book, the direction's there. But the more time you spend in here, then the Spirit's got a handle to give you direction. I mean, as a young Christian, 
I memorized Proverbs 6. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. Proud look, a lying tongue, hands of children. And then he that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates that. Well, as a young punk, know-it-all Christian, I heard something was happening at the church that I didn't agree with. And I thought, how dare they? They didn't consult me about this. So I called up the preacher to give him what for. And as I was calling him, dialing him, you know, the before cell phones, I was pushing the buttons on the phone, you know, the Spirit just brought to my remembrance, these six things does the Lord hate. He that sows discord among the brethren. That's all I was doing. And I hung up the phone, I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. That's what I was going to do. But if I didn't know that verse, I'd probably went charged right ahead. But when we know the Word of God, the Spirit directs us through the Word of God. We need the Bible. He works through the Word of God. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be controlled by the Spirit. You compare that Colossians 3. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the same results follow, because when the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, the Spirit can control you. And people, we neglect this book to our own hurt. We think, I knew that, I don't need to keep reading, I, I got that. Every day I read stuff and I'm like, that's been in there the whole time? We need the book, people. We need the book, yeah. That's right. I I don't remember that being there when I read through last year. Okay, here's a question. I don't know who this is from. I don't see a name. Oh, Tanya. Since the Spirit is the one who reveals the truth of God, how is it that some people like Don Preston can understand preterism, but not biblical soteriology? Boy, that's a good question. I don't get it. Now, see, Don would not say he doesn't understand biblical soteriology. He just has a different soteriology, okay? And this is an age-long battle in the church. Arminianism, Calvinism, people on both sides. Why are there people on both sides? I don't know. I've been on both sides. I like this side better because to, to me it lines up with the Word of God. You know, Arminianism lined up better with what I feel, but I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know why men of God, people of God, can study the same Scripture and come up with two different things. I don't understand it. But they do. And maybe, you know, I know, at least in my perspective, what I believe now is totally 180 out of everything I once believed. Everything. I mean, I learned everything wrong first. Everything I believed was different than I believe now. You know, because the more I study, the more I'm like, that was wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Why do I believe that? You know, it's growth, it's learning. And we're all on that path, hopefully, of growing and learning. And hopefully we'll keep doing that so uh, we can move on. All right, Bob says, if the Arminian view is correct, That's a second-class condition, if and it's not, okay? Right, Bob? Second-class conditional sentence, if and it's not. If the Arminian view is correct, namely that the Spirit's illumination is not necessary, the rulers of the world could have easily figured out God's plan, and they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, you're right. I kind of lean to that passage being the rulers being the divine rulers, the Spirit being rulers behind that, and if they'd have known... If these gods would have known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But yeah, it is spiritually discerned, people. You know, we've got to, 
Again, be familiar with the book. And, and again, let me make it clear. I am not saying Don is not familiar with the book. Okay? The man has an amazing handle on the Word of God, but he holds a different... That's the tradition he grew up in. Does that influence that? I don't know. You know, I grew up in certain traditions, not deep as he did, but I'm, I've broken out a lot of things because I'm just like, I don't see this. And people, I can't, you know, I share with you some verses today, but there's so many more verses that deal with the, the sovereignty of God and salvation. And the sovereignty of God over everything that happens. That it just, you know, people somehow think their will is superior to God. You know, a verse that stands out to me, God told the Israelites, three pilgrim feasts a year, you have to come to Jerusalem to worship me during this time. So they're coming from distances. And God says to them, don't worry about your stuff. Hey, you're going to pack up and you're going to leave everything you got? Well, that's a good opportunity for someone to come in and take everything. God said, don't worry about your stuff. No one will take it. They won't even want it. Well, that's kind of sovereign sounding to me. I control their want. I control their covetous. They're not going to covet what you have because you're here in Jerusalem worshiping me. Your stuff's safe. Wow, Lord, that's pretty strong stuff you got there. All right, we could probably go on all day with this. This is a subject that just gets, because the church is totally divided on this. Again, you got half Arminian, you got half Calvin, and you know, they have different ideas and views, but listen, I, I'd be willing to debate any Arminian on this view because I think the scriptures are so strong in favor of Calvinism. Now, I don't even like that term, Calvinism, because that's really Bibleism. All right, this is what the Bible says God's sovereign. They're preaching the gospel in the book of Acts. Who believed it? <laughs> the Bible says, and those who were ordained to eternal life believed. What? That's who believed. Because God ordained them to eternal life. 